0: I ask you, please stand with me at reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage this morning. Luke, uh, I keep saying Luke, Acts, Luke wrote it, but it's Acts, Acts chapter 6, 1 to 7. Acts 6, 1 to 7. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles and prayed and laid hands on them. The Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient. To the faith. This is the word of our Lord. May he write its eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we consider this passage of scripture, we we see the the importance of ministry in the word and we also see the importance of ministry in deed. May we in this local church be those who minister in word and deed. Help us, I I pray, Lord, to see the responsibilities that we have to serve the people of God for the glory of your name. Lord, equip us. Help us, strengthen us, I pray. Raise up men and women in this church who will be faithful in both. Help us, Lord, to recognize our calling, our gifting, and help us, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in the gifting that you have given us serving you for your glory and for the proclamation of your gospel and for the expansion of your kingdom. Work in us through your word, we pray, confident in your work through your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever looked at somebody and thought, wow, look at look at that person, look at him or, or look at her. They've got it all together. I wish I could be just like that. Or, or maybe it's another family Say, wow, look at their kids. They all sit so nice and, and straight and, and quietly. I wish my kids would behave like that. Well, I've got news for you. Nothing is as it appears. Well, that person that you want to be like they've got their struggles too. You don't know what areas of of temptation that person faces. They they probably even struggle in some of the same ways that you struggle or in ways that you've never even considered that people might struggle. Or or that family that that sits together so nicely and quietly at church, you don't know what arguments they had in the van on the way to church or what arguments they're going to have on the way home from church. We we sometimes forget that we're all sinners, every one of us, and we tend to idealize other people and say we want to be like them. Well, that is true, I think, quite often in our perspective of the early church. We, We tend to idealize the early church. Now, we should look how the early church looked and do things the way the early church did them, and follow their example in ways that the Scripture says directly are appropriate and and worthy of emulation. However, sometimes we can look at at the early church and think that they had it all together. At least I do. We we can look at the way that they prayed, and 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 we can think I I could never pray like that. Or we look at the way that they that they that they endured persecution and and think, I could never suffer joyfully joyfully like that. We we see the way that they loved each other and even loved their enemies, and they think, I could never love like that. We saw that with Peter last week, didn't we? As as he loved his enemies, as he loved the men of the Sanhedrin by sharing the gospel with them. We'll see it next week, even more powerfully, Lord willing, with, with Stephen. As he even in the act of being stoned to death, praise for those who were killing him, asking this this sin not be added to their account. Or we look at their generosity as people joyfully sold their possessions and and gave away the money and and think, I could never be as generous as that. We think, well, sure, there's there's Ananias and there's Sapphira, but but they were were really unbelievers and, and look what happened to them. We forget that the early church was made up of men and women just like you and me. We forget that it was the Holy Spirit who enabled the early Christians and all Christians to honor God and to love one another like they did. We forget that is until we look at a passage like Acts chapter 6, 1 to 7. It's one of the several passages in acts that reveals that there were actually problems in the church. That's one of the the things that I find so encouraging about the scriptures because it it really it's really honest about the failings of the people in the story. There's only one hero in the story and that's the Triune God. The people are people just. Like us. So I can, can look at, at my own life or, or the problems that we would face as a, as a church and, and think we're not alone in this. That our, our brothers and sisters have faced, if not exactly the same challenges, problems that are, are, are similar enough that, that we can, can look and, and draw encouragement from the Word of God and, and see how God solved those problems for His glory. And even through those problems, God built His church. And so this is exactly what we see in this passage here this morning. Again, these people have failings, not just like maybe not just like ours, but close enough that we can relate to them and see what the Lord, in His sovereignty and His grace and His mercy, does for them, and in them, and through them. This passage gives us a, a further glimpse into the life of the early church, warts and all. There, there's been great blessing through the, the sharing of of financial resources, but this morning we'll see that the sharing of financial resources also created the opportunity for conflict. We, we've seen opposition from the the outside of the church in, in the in terms of the, the Jewish religious leadership. We've also seen opposition from the inside with Ananias and Sapphira, but but Ananias and Sapphira were really outsiders that wanted to look like insiders. In our passage this morning the, the, the conflict truly comes, the opposition truly comes from the inside. As contention arose in the church over an issue of discrimination between Jewish Christians and their Hellenist counterparts. I'll talk about more about, about who these groups were later. The church was growing, and that's a great thing. But as the church grew, a problem came with it. The Hellenist Christians complained that their widows were being neglected in the ministration of daily provisions. It it seems that, at least on some level, that the, the Hebrew Christians were being biased towards believers from a different cultural background. But as we see so often in the narratives of God's Word and in our own lives, that every problem is an opportunity. Every problem is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to see the Lord work. So my outline this morning is pretty simple. In in verses 1 and 2, we see the problem. In verses 3 to 6, we see the solution. And in verse 7, we see the result. We're going to look at at the problem and some potential reasons why the problem existed. Then we'll see how the church solved the problem and far more importantly, how God solved the problem. And then we'll see the unexpected blessing that God achieved through the solution. But we can praise God. Spoiler warning here, the church didn't split on the basis of this conflict. God gave them the wisdom collectively to work it out, work out the problem out in an equitable fashion. And as God raised up men of faith and full of faith and of the Holy Spirit to be the solution, to be the solution, and the church then learns an important lesson along the way. So first of all, the, the problem in verses 1 and 2. Again, Luke tells us that the church was growing. He says the disciples were increasing in number. Now on the face of it, that doesn't seem like a problem. right? The church is growing. It's a great thing. But the problem came in, in how to minister to people's needs. And if you've ever been part of a, of a faithful church that was growing rapidly, then, then you would have experienced that some of the attendant difficulties. I saw that happen in my, my church in, in Louisville. The, the church was growing rapidly. This was a faithful church. Really, it was the first, the first faithful church I'd ever been to. And I often say that, that, um, that, that my seminary education was was awesome, but, but I, I, I learned what the church is supposed to look like, and, and I learned what a pastor is supposed to be like in that church, in Manuel Baptist Church in, in Louisville, Kentucky. Very, very thankful to the to the, the whole church, but particularly to the, the one of the, the lead pastors, um Ryan Fullerton, who was was, was and continues to be a, a big blessing in my life. But the, the, but the church was growing rapidly and, and there and there became a difficulty of how they were they going to meet everyone's needs. And this is and so in, in this church, in Emmanuel Baptist, the church was growing so fast that there was a huge backlog of people who, who wanted to take up membership. Right? What a, what an in one sense, what a great problem to have. I, I pray that, that we have that kind of problem one day. That, but there's difficult to, difficulties in how we could they can minister everyone's needs, everyone to minister to everybody's needs. And so that the pastors develop training ministries to equip the church to meet the church's needs and to provide opportunities for people to, to walk in, in the gifting that God had given them. Again, I I pray that, that we can have the same problem one day. But we're working on helping helping you as a church to grow in depth. So that should the church grow in breadth, we'll be better equipped to minister to those who come. I say this regularly that that Pastor Joshua and I are assistant ministers. Our primary job is to we're talking um, John was talking about this this morning in our in our Bible study. Our primary job is to equip you for ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the, the full maturity of Christ. So it's Ephesians. It's Ephesians four. The measure of the fullness of Christ, Ephesians 4 11, and 12. So, here in the, in the case of, of Acts chapter 6, of course, there were, there were spiritual needs to be met, but the primary need that we see here is material. It's material. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. This, this was, not, was not a perceived problem. It was a real problem. These widows actually were being neglected. Okay, but first of all, we need to ask who were the Hellenists? Well, the Hellenists were were most likely Greek-speaking Diaspora Jews. Okay, there there were Jews who had dispersed from Israel and then settled in other places. And and there was a a significant number of Diaspora Jews at that time who had, after after some of them had spent their whole lives in, in other parts of the world, they had returned to Israel, and specifically to Jerusalem, because they wanted to die in the Holy City. And so there, there was a, a significant number of people like this. And, and archaeologists have recently discovered there was a number of, of synagogues from this time where, where the services were in Greek. So these were Greek-speaking Jews, and, and so their, 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 their native language, they, many of wouldn't even have, have spoken um Hebrew or even the Aramaic that was was common in that in that region, they, they didn't even didn't even speak that. They only spoke Greek. And archaeologists have found synagogues in from that that time period in Jerusalem where they were they could tell from the evidence that these were these were Greek synagogues, Greek speaking synagogues. So it, it's possible that the issue here was was simply one of, of la- one of language, okay. There was a there was a language barrier, but it's also possible that the the, the issue was actually one of culture, because again, this obviously would have been cultural differences um, between those Christian those Jews who lived in other places besides Jerusalem. Now I don't know whether that that played into this, but it's very likely. But Again, it's possibly it was just as simple as a as a language barrier. Many. Many Jews spoke Greek, but not all of them did. At least, at least some of the apostles spoke Greek. However, it was not their mother tongue. And so when, we, when it comes now to, to widows, we need to understand that, that in the ancient Near East, and again in many parts of the world even today, the, the widows were particularly among the most, most vulnerable and needy people in that culture. And so the Hellenistic widows would have been particularly needy. Many, many would have, have left their home country and their family and come to Jerusalem. Many of it would have come even with their husbands, but then their husbands who had been primarily responsible for, for providing for them passed away. And so these widows were left alone with, with little means of support. And again, there, there would have been in in the Jerusalem culture, as far as widows are concerned, there would have been a disproportionately large number of Hellenistic widows, because again, elderly Jews, it was common for them to return to Jerusalem to die to die there. Now, we can't know the exact reason for the fact that they were not getting the same level of of care as the Hebrew widows, but at the very least, that the new and growing church lacked the organizational structures to help new believers across ethnic diversities. The widows, as the ESV says, were being neglected in the daily distribution. We saw that in chapter two, that Acts chapter two, that, that support was given to any who had need. And then in chapter 4, there was was not a needy person among them. But now the church had grown to such a point that the Hellenist widows were were not getting what they needed. The ESV gets the sense here, but the the NASB is closer to the original language. It says in the daily service. Similarly, the the King James says in the the daily ministration. So now as as Luke presents the issue, there's problems on both sides. There's problems on both sides. Fault on both sides. On the side of the the Hebrews, there was a lack of intentionality in seeking to serve others who were not exactly like them. Right? It, it takes an extra measure of, of love and grace and mercy to look beyond the people of your own tribe. Okay, so so there was there was there was a legitimate issue of they were neglecting the, the needs of these Hellenistic widows. But then on the other side. The Hellenists were told were complaining. There was a complaint. The, the, the word that's translated "complaint" here is the same root word that's used in the Septuagint, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, to describe the murmuring of the children of Israel against Moses in the wilderness. So it's it's a, in a it's their their complaining is being presented here in a, in a negative light. So as again in most conflicts, as is true in most conflicts, it seems that that both sides. We were at fault. There was a division among ethnic lines. Ethnic lines were people who failed to keep front and center, at least by implication, the fact that their citizenship was in heaven. And the people who responded to that neglect by murmuring and grumbling and complaining. Now, I understand just, just a little of, of the difficulty of, of language barriers. Many years ago, I visited a church in Fiji, and the whole service was in Fijian. The singing was beautiful, and the pastor was was obviously zealous for the Word of God. And afterwards, I was able to speak with the pastor and another brother, but I did not understand a single word of the service. I only knew a couple of words in in Fijian, so the, the whole thing was unintelligible to me. I was just now in that situation I was just a visitor this was the only time I visited that church I, I was gone a few days later but imagine if that was the case for your home church imagine if, if, the, if the church that is your home church you don't understand a, a word of, of what's what's going on and and very likely um if if Sergey and Rasa come and become a part of the church it's going to be like that for them they're going to come and they they only speak Ukrainian Okay, so, we, we have to think of ways that we can proactively support them and, and help them uh, with, with translation and, and help to understand um, and, and serve them. And in God's providence, we had a, a couple from a Ukrainian couple visit the church a, w- a week prior and they offered to, to help us with some of this and connected us with some of the Ukrainian com- uh, community to help us with this. But imagine being in a church service and, and not understanding a word that, that's said. You know, and for some of us, uh, uh, for some among us, English is not your first language, right? Even so, so you can, can understand a, a, even a fair bit of what's going on, it's, it's even, it's not your heart language, and so there's, there's things that are, that, that get lost in translation, that, that you don't, that aren't, aren't, aren't um, communicated as, as, in a way that, that you could truly understand. And that's reality for, for even some amongst us here even this morning. But our church is becoming increasingly culturally diverse. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I have. I get get a bird's eye view. I praise God for that. I praise God that there's there's more and more people from different cultures coming to our church. And it's not as though we said, oh, oh, there's a person from that particular culture. Come on, come on, let's join us. No, it's it's happened organically as the Lord is adding people to the church from different cultures. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing because it's a foretaste of what we're going to see when we all gather together, as people from every tribe and tongue and nation, as we gather together with one voice and praise God. We stand before Jesus Christ and sing praises to Him together. And so we get, we get a little glimpse of that now, and so I pray that our church will be become even more increasingly diverse as a reflection of our culture. This is, this is not about being woke, Okay, this is this is not this is well, this is about being woke, but not to wokeism. It's about being being woke to the fact that there really only is one culture. Right? You under, only one, there's many cultures, but there, there's only one race, it's the human race. I think I think wokeism is actually about division of people. But the gospel, the true gospel, brings people together. And so we, we get a little bit of glimpse and a little bit of an opportunity to participate in that here. I can say, thankfully, there, there is not division here along ethnic lines. I, I, I see people, I see people going, going out of the way to talk to all different people in the church, and then we praise God for that. And certainly any, any mercy ministry is, is, not, is not biased among ethnic lines. In other words, is our, our fellowship. But I wonder, though, do we divide along other lines, even, even unconsciously? We might not discriminate amongst cultural lines, but but perhaps we we discriminate because of age or family makeup. Again, it's, it's not that we intentionally divide, but 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 just think about about the people that you fellowship with in the, in the last month. D- do you spend more time with people who are at the same stage of life as you? Right, I can understand the natural tendency to do that for for young families to spend time with. With younger families and for teenagers who want to spend time with teenagers and and and, and older people with, with older people, I get the natural tendency to want to do that. But to the extent that we do do that, that's it's it's reflects a, a lack of understanding that our, our citizens our citizenship again is in heaven. That the most important thing about us is the thing that we share together. All of us who are in Christ, as so we share Christ, and so we we don't need to. to and we shouldn't really be seeking out primarily just to be people with people who are just like us. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of it during my, my many, many, many years of, of being single, I, I didn't experience it personally, but I saw it. I saw it happen quite a bit that, 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 the, that the singles would hang out together and the young families would hang out together and the older people would hang out together. And I saw the, the, on the other side, I saw the people who were being left out. I'm um, complaining, actively complaining about it. Now, now by God's grace, I, I recognized that, and so I intentionally sought out friends who were were older and younger, and married and single, with kids, without kids, and praise God, I still maintain m- many of those of those friendships. These friendships are such a blessing. I, I learned a lot from each of them, and I, and I really hope it, it it went both ways. But again, when we when we seek out the the to be with and to fellowship with people who are not just like us. We expand our horizons. And we also expand theirs. And we get an opportunity to, to serve others who are not like us and to be served with people who are not like us. And we, we glorify God. We, and God is, is praised for this. But there is, there is an area of, of division that, that, that we saw recently in our church and in our culture. And that was in terms of how to respond to COVID. COVID. And I realized, and I confess, there's there's ways, there's mistakes that, that I made in the process. We're trying to figure figure as we trying to, you know, what uh, legislation would come out, and we would we try to we we try to respond to that. And there was mistakes that were made. But the difference was were, we're heightened in the culture as as after anything beyond us, and in, of of issues of the the vaxxed versus the unvaxxed grew. And as politicians and the media played into this, because division gets votes and gets clicks. And so the, the, it, they, they, they bank on, on division and fighting. And praise God that somewhere along the way, I think, I think we learned something here. And we began to, even though we might, not, we might not have, have grown in the, in the church as much as, as numbers, in the way of numbers, but I think we've increasingly begun to see the importance of embracing people with a different point of view. and That's healthy. It's necessary. We really need to, to surround ourselves with people who have different points of view. And, and not just in that area, but in a, in a host of areas for many reasons, but not the least of which in order to, to temper our response. Because we're gonna wanna tend to be with people like us. And what happens when you're with people just like you is you become an echo chamber for your own opinions. But we in the church, when it, when it comes to these, these, these tertiary and even secondary areas, we, we need to, to be able to seek out others who have a different point of view. And it becomes an opportunity to, to grow in our ability to communicate our thoughts and our feelings in a loving way. And that's one of the beauties of the local church. At least it should be. But sadly, people often choose churches with more people just like them when they should be seeking churches with more people who look, just, who look more like Jesus. We want people be, and to surround ourselves with people who look more like Jesus. And so again, I, I, strongly, I, I strongly recommend you consider your own relationships in the church and whether on any level you are dividing, consciously or, or unconsciously, and ask the Lord to help you to find ways to overcome those, those barriers. So now back to, back to the early church here in, in Acts six. The twelve, the apostles, responded by saying, "It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables." To this point, the the apostles had been the ones who coordinated the distribution of the provisions to help the needy. Remember, we saw this in, in the beginning of Act of end of Acts. Um, 5, uh, 4 rather, in the beginning of Acts chapter 5 of, of when they, they, they sold their, their properties and brought the proceeds, what did they do with it? They laid it at the apostles' feet and the apostles would then make sure that, 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 that those provisions would get disseminated amongst the people who were needy. But the church by this point here in, in Acts chapter 6 has grown to the point where, where this was burdensome and a distraction to the apostles. And so they, they acknowledge the problem but they, they knew that they couldn't be the solution to the problem, at least not directly. Okay, so, so, so they said, well, okay, we, we need to figure out what's going on here. We need, to, we need to solve this, but we can't do it. So we need to solve the problem. So they recognized their commission from Christ directly as witnesses for Christ. And that this this duty to, minister, to be ministers of the word must take priority for them over practical ministry. Okay, and they say again, it's 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 more important for us to minister in the word of God than it is to serve tables. Again, the word that's 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 uh, translated serve there can can also be translated minister. As I Howard Marshall explains, it is not necessarily suggested that serving tables is on a, on a lower level than teaching. Okay but the point is rather that the task to which the 12 has been specifically called was one of witness and evangelism. Now obviously if if it, if it's going to be one or the other okay the word of god takes priority takes primacy. Okay but it but in the in the the church it, it's it doesn't need to be Either or it's it's meant to be both. Then again, let us not minister in word only, but in deed and in truth. In deed and in truth, it's a matter here of priority for the apostles, but it's also a matter of calling. They've not been called to do that. They've been called to be witnesses for Christ, and so that for them, this duty to minister the word must take priority over practical ministry. But the apostles, as they see that they had this primary purpose, as we're going to see, they're not the only ones who administer the Word. In the next two chapters, we're going to see Stephen and Philip engaging in ministry of the Word as well. But here, in this issue of, of, of trying to figure out what they're trying to do, it could be really viewed as a matter of time and energy. Right? They, they did not have the, the time or the energy to be able to do both, so they had to consciously prioritize Again, we think about it in, in our church, practical needs are, are, are not so, so much in terms of, of mercy ministry. But again, with a new development of, of seeking ways to, um, to help Sergey and Resa and, and see, seeking to determine whether we have the, the material resources to help them, this, this is a new development for us as a, as a church. And there, there are all kinds of people in serving in all kinds of of ways in this church. Yesterday we had a work bee, and, and again, a number of people were away sick, so we had fewer people than, than normal than we normally have. But people work really hard. But I'm thankful for the the skilled men and women in this church who serve not just on on work bees, but but every Sunday and throughout the week as well. People play piano and they they sing and they and they run sound and they 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 set up the the communion cups and the and the bread they they count the offering they they clean the building they plan activities they they look after the maintenance and the grounds they greet people they read the, the call to worship they serve in the Sunday school they they make meals they visit one another and encourage each other with the word of god this is this is all happening in our body in this little church all that stuff is getting done and it's in many of it, many of these ways, I don't have the the time, let alone the gifting to do the things that you do. It'd be impossible. But you guys are doing the work of ministry, and you're glorifying God in the way that you do so. Just just think about some of the ways that others in the church have have ministered to you and or or, or served you, and just just things that you don't even think about. Even the person who unlocks the front door turns on the lights in the morning. The person who puts out salt, so you don't slip and fall. This stuff happens, and you guys are the ones who are doing so much of it. So many of us are busy serving. Now, again, I want to just include a plug here. If there, if you want to to serve in a particular area that 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 really. Um, we, we, or if you see a need that isn't being met, please do let, let someone know, whether me or Pastor Joshua or, or somebody, just let, let someone know that hey, I want to serve in this or, or here's something that I see that's not getting done that probably needs to get done. Because again, we're, we all have eyes and ears and we can all see, see what's going on around us. But again, it, it, and, and please know, especially if, if you have a personal need that is not being met, please don't suffer with that. We we don't want anybody to be neglected in anything in our body. Especially don't don't complain about it. Because what happens if if you complain to other people about about faults, and we're not far from a perfect church, if you complain to people about faults, what happens is that grows and that can create create a seed of bitterness that that can defile the church. If there's something you see that's a problem, go go to the person that, that can do something about it. Most importantly, pray, the one who can really do something about it. And again, may this problem be an opportunity for growth in the church. So now let's see in verses 3 to 6, the the solution. We'll see the apostle's solution, and we'll see God's solution. But they they aren't mutually exclusive. Both solutions really come from God. The apostles say, therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, this is is wise leadership and good stewardship. It's wise leadership and it's good stewardship to recognize what you were called to do, And to recognize giftedness in others and to delegate responsibilities to them. That's wise leadership and it's good stewardship of of the resources of the church. And and by the resources of the church here, I mean the the church. Again, the focus for the apostles was to be prayer and the ministry of the word. Now it's not it's not that the apostles don't minister in other areas. any any more than than that others can't pray or minister the word. And again, we're going to see two of the men who were chosen for this this purpose from from verse six or from verse five who are ministering powerfully in the word in the next couple of chapters. But prayer and the word were the, the priorities for the apostles. And prayer and the word are my responsibilities as well. Now, pastors are not apostles, but this is to be our focus. Pastors like apostles need to be careful to prioritize prayer and the word. And it's to my detriment, the detriment of the church, when I fail to do that. Whether it's through wasting time or, or misusing the time that, that, that God has given by serving in the areas that, that are, are not meant to be my priorities. But recognize here, too, that the task of mercy, of mercy ministry is still essential. They're not saying it's not important. They're saying it is important. In fact, they're saying that it's, it's so important that we, we want to, we want you guys to choose seven men who are full of wisdom and of the Holy Spirit, men who are respectable in the community, and we want you to appoint these men, these godly men, gifted men for this purpose. Well, first of all, notice here who the apostles choose to make the choice. They say, pick out from among yourselves. They gave the task of choosing and the task of serving to those who had made the complaint. Right? They made them part of the solution by giving them the opportunity to work together to find the solution. Again, this is wisdom. Wisdom. There's no way that, that after this, that the Hellenists can say, "Well, our, our widows are being neglected," because the Hellenists are meant to, to make sure that the widows are provided for. And if it's a if it's a language issue, well, you solve the problem. Even if it's a, of a cultural misunderstanding, it solves the problem because they're from the same culture. They could not say that it wasn't fair or that it was discriminatory but it's also a way then to overcome the potential for further discrimination. And notice here that, that the apostles had, had called together all of the disciples, right? They, they, called, they called the whole, uh, they, they appointed all, sorry, they called together all of the disciples. The whole church came together. Now, I, I don't think this is a, a, this is a proof text for congregationalism. Okay, I really do think that congregationalism is the most, most biblical form uh, of church government. But I think what we're, what we're simply seeing here, again, it's not a proof text for, for church meetings, but I do see the underlying principle of congregationalism in this passage. That the church, the gathered church, was given responsibility over the gathered church. That's really what congregationalism is. The ultimate authority in the local church is the church not individual, it's not a body of, of elders or deacons, it's the church. The church has the authority. You have the authority. Again, okay, I see this. This is the is being given to the church by the apostles. And, and this, this is a, obviously this is a wise solution, right? And, and and we, we, can, we can know from God's word that, that all true wisdom comes from God. So the, so the, the apostle solution here is really God's solution here. Well, let's focus now on the, the qualifications of the men who are to be chosen. <sighs> Again, they were to be of, of good repute, they were to be full of the Holy Spirit, and to be full of wisdom. Again, these qualifications were wrought by God. God was doing this in these men. And again, if this is not a proof text for congregationalism, neither is this a proof text for, for deacons. Okay? The, the word that's translated service or ministry is actually tr- translated, it's, it's transliterated to deacon, but it, it's the word is not used here in the specific way that, that Paul uses it in passages like 1 Timothy 3. This passage, as we, we often see in Acts, is, is not, is, it's not prescriptive, but it's descriptive. It's not, excuse me, it's not prescribing what we should do, but it's describing what happened. We, we, we need to look for principles, but we also need to look for clear commands in other passages of Scripture in order to rightly apply this passage. I don't want to preach the, the, the right principle from the wrong passage. There is a principle here that that it's an enduring principle that we can see from many other passages in Scripture that mercy ministry is essential, that it's it's being given a priority by the apostles and by the church. Again, this is all over the place in the Bible. The men's and the women's Bible studies last week looked at this from our our studies of, of Galatians, and where we're meeting the practical needs of others is, is described as, as part of God's moral law. And as Baruch Moaz explained, it's it's this is not only for the purpose of evangelism, but also for the purpose of, of serving and glorifying God. Okay, we don't just, just seek to 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 give to others that so we have an opportunity to evangelism. We we seek to, to honor and glorify God by by ministering to others, even if, even if they don't ever come to faith. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Right? So we, we need to look for the opportunities that God presents us with in order to serve everyone. But especially those in the church. Especially those in the church. So then the ongoing principle here is that we should seek to serve others and that we should seek people to help in that service. Right? So we should seek to serve others. We should seek to help people serve in, the, in the, this capacity. Again, we did a whole series on the, the spiritual gifts in order to help people to, to consider and to identify uh, what their personal gifting is. Again, this is not a proof text for establishing a diaconate. The, these men are never given the title. However, we also see the principle of appointing qualified men to specific tasks, The character qualifications for deacon are are, are listed in 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13. But the qualifications, again, for these men are reflected in their character as well. They're they're to have good reputations. It's it's obvious that you wouldn't want somebody with a bad reputation, with a a questionable reputation, to be responsible for other people's money. Right? They were to be full of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And again, remember that that all Christians are entweld with the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit comes and came and comes upon men and women. Now, even as in the in the the, this time of the of the 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 new covenant, to the Holy Spirit will come upon us to um, help us to fulfill a specific purpose for a specific time. And so, the church was to identify the men in in whom the Holy Spirit was at work. And and one of the characteristics of this was that these men were also to be full of wisdom. Again, you wouldn't want to give give other people's money to people who are foolish with it now let's let's hey, let's let's go to the casino and, and try to, to let's, let's try to, to make that money work for us and we'll, we'll come back with more and yeah, not a good idea we want people who are, are obviously wise and to, known to be wise and it, and these these men were were recognized for these things right it was obviously the church saw it again there's a principle here for us In a congregational church like ours, the church recognizes, affirms, and appoints gifted and qualified men to offices, whether they be be deacon or elder. And and likewise, recognizes, affirms, and appoints those who serve in in a variety of ways in the church. But now these particular men, their role was to be contrasted with that of the apostles. The word that's translated here is the the apostles were to devote themselves to prayer and the word of God. Uh, the, the it's the same word that's used in Acts two forty two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking bread, and the prayers. Again, this doesn't mean that those who were were chosen are are not devoted to those things as well. But but it. it we're going to see this in the coming weeks, but it means that it was a specific purpose of the apostles to be devoted to, to prayer and the word. And in verse five, we're introduced to these men, this, the seven. The church was was pleased with the apostles' solution, which which is really, as we see, God's solution, and they ch- they chose out these seven men: Stephen, we're told, as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and, and um, Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Now, it's probably not obvious to you, but but these men all had Greek names. These are not Hebrew names. They were Greek names. And they they were as we see from the context, these men were all Hellenists. And we really don't know anything other than this passage about five five out of the seven. But two of them, Stephen and Philip, are going to be the focus of the next two chapters. And and so I think in, in focusing on Stephen and Philip, Luke is presenting them as as, uh, exemplary and representative of the seven. Stephen, again, we're told specifically was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. I think the same could be said of the rest. So the apostles lay hands on them and send them out. So then the church did not divide along, along ethnic lines. The problem was an opportunity for the church to grow in wisdom and reliance on God. You know, too often when a problem arises in the church, people take, pick up their bat and their ball and they go home. Rather than seeing the problem as an opportunity, this is something to, to work through. And to see what, to remember who God is. And remember who your brothers and sisters are. And to seek work to work through a problem in a way that, that maximizes God and His glory. Doesn't just get you what you want. So, God led the apostles to find a wise solution and led the church to recognize and choose men in whom God was at work to be the solution. So, now briefly, let, let's see the result. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God continued to increase. Luke, Luke is basically saying that, that now, after what has taken place, that the Word had an even broader influence than it did before. Right? That the apostles are now freed up to do what, what they're really meant to be doing. And so the Word of God continued to advance. And, but it wasn't just through the apostles that, that other men have now been, been raised up in the church to, to, to minister in the ways that they're meant to be doing. And as we'll see, they also minister in the Word of God themselves. But in verse 1, we're told that the disciples were increasing in number. And now in verse 7, we're told that their number multiplied greatly. We've gone from addition to multiplication. So the church is even growing, is growing even more quickly now. We're told that that even many priests became obedient to the faith. Now at that time in in Jerusalem, there were literally thousands, thousands of priests. Thousands of priests serving in, in various ways, in and around the Jerusalem area. And we're told that a great many became Christians. Maybe even some of those who had heard the apostles preaching as recorded for us in passages like, like, like Acts 5, 30 to 32. Even many of the priests, many, many, of, of, uh, many of these men who had been so opposed to Jesus Christ now became followers of Jesus Christ. I wonder what the, the rest of, of the, the Jewish leadership did with that. So God sent forth his word through the apostles and now through other men, and, and, th- and now through other men, God is, is reaping a great harvest. Initially, remember when we think about the phases of, of Acts, you see in Acts 1.8, it's Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the othermost parts of the earth. And, and thus far, we, we, we've seen Luke's focus has been on Jerusalem. And that's about to change. As Ben Witherington explains, Luke is going to betray Stephen and Philip as the bridge figures leading to the next stage of mission and witness, in this case, outside of Jerusalem, but still in the Holy Land. So he's saying here that, that Acts is still primarily, in, Acts here in 6 is primarily still in the, the Jerusalem phase. But with Stephen and Philip, the, the ministry is going to go out into Judea at the beginning of the ministry to the ends of the earth. So after this, Luke's focus is on the ministry of God, the Word of God outside of Jerusalem, and and after that, the persecution comes yet again. So clearly, we're going to see in Acts 7 and 8, as Stephen and Philip were devoted to the ministry of the Word, as both powerfully, both men powerfully expound Old Testament passages to dramatic effect. So this passage shows that the church is facing another problem and that finding the solution to the problem and being the solution to the problem through the Lord's empowerment. Ministry in the word and in deed is our mission as well and it will continue to be our mission until the Lord's return. As those who have become servants of Jesus Christ those who were once slaves of sin we now serve in the capacity that Jesus sends us out to, to serve in not relying on our own strength but relying on the strength of the holy spirit who empowers us and who fills us to accomplish the work that god has sent us to accomplish friends we we come with the gospel of salvation and we we show the power of the gospel, the salvation, the way that we live change lives. We show that we belong to Christ by living in ways that, that reflect Christ. Yes, in, in, in many ways, it might, it might, from the eyes of the, of the world, it might be weak in, in small ways. But beloved, God is glorified in you when, when you serve in the strength that God provides in ways that before coming to Christ, you never even would have thought or even cared about doing. He's showing that you belong to Christ and that you love Christ and that because you love Christ, you want to love others, especially others who love Christ. May God grow us as a church in a ministry, in word, and in deed. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you have purchased for yourself your bride, the church, Oh Jesus, you died for your church. You rose again for your church and you are interceding for your church from your position enthroned at the right hand of God even now. So you are confident, Lord Jesus, that you are continuing to build your church and you are building your church through the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we confess our weakness. We ask forgiveness for our many failings. Forgive us, Lord, for ways that we have failed to serve you and to glorify you. Forgive us for ways that, that we have had a, a partisan view of Christianity. How we, we've limited our ministry to others for, for whatever reason. Strengthen us, I pray. Motivate us, I pray, out of love for you, love for the lost, and of love for one another, to minister to one another in the the means that you have given us, in the strength that you provided us. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit to, to believe your word and to be changed by that word and to increase in our, in the fulfillment of walking in light of the word. Help us, I pray, to do this, change us, and grow us in depth and in breadth. Pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.